Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Let's start today with Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That's his promise. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed, shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. Now, folks, I've really enjoyed just driving this one into you. It doesn't matter about spirituality, spiritual maturity, how many years you've been a Christian. There is no seniority benefits for salvation, all right? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. We're, we're rewarded equally. The parable of the farmer sending out the laborers into his field, they each received the same no matter what time they joined. Please, in this time of a desperate crisis, don't think that God quantifies your spirituality and that God ranks your seniority to fulfill his promises. Simply because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father. We come to you this morning in Jesus' name. We bow our hearts in submission before you. We choose to humble ourselves before you and under your mighty hand. Father, I thank you for the plan that you have for the life of every person listening to me this morning. And that plan has not changed because of a coronavirus. That plan has not changed because of companies that will shut down. Lord, many will rise and many will fall in this time, but your people your people shall go from glory to glory. Now, Father, let encouragement come into the hearts of your people today. You are the lifter of their heads. You are the God of eternal encouragement. Father, reach into every home right now this morning. As I sit there, Lord, just quietly at breakfast, some of them still waking up. Lord, lift their heads. Lift their heads and put your encouragement. Fill them with all joy and fill them with all peace, and touch them by the power of the Holy Ghost, and, and put hope within their heart today. I thank you for it. Father, we come to you today. Receive our worship. Open our hearts to your word that we can learn. Teach us your ways that we can walk in them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Shells are from the 
I want to give a big shout out to all of our friends in Ghana that are listening right now. Now, COP, you need to understand my heart toward the folks in Ghana. God kind of brought Dag and I together, Pastor Dag and I together, when I needed a friend. And here's a man who loves God with all of his heart, loves his wife, loves his kids, loves the work of God, does not see the ministry as a way of how can I get money from people, but just loves to to pour himself in and work hard and be a blessing everywhere he goes. I mean, an incredible man of God, incredible man of God. And then when I got over to Ghana and I saw people, first of all, it was like going back on our own history to the 1980s. They're the most wonderful, sweet, gentle people. In fact, when you eat their food, it's just like our food. I mean, we might as well be home, except they call things by different names. But, you know, we call it menudo, they call it something else. We call it papaya, they call it pow-pow or pawpaw or something like that. Their food is almost identical to us. Their people are happy and wonderful like us. But they're about 30 years behind in the economy. And so it was like going back into history and seeing people who just love Jesus with all their heart. They, they're the most wonderful, wonderful people. Preaching in their churches, ministering to their pastors is what a, such a joy. But I want us to pray for them this morning because the, these people have so encouraged me I saw at a time in my life when I thought, Lord, I, I just don't get this new modern Western Christianity. I just, I just, I can't find it in the Bible. I can't live that way. And I got around people that are touching and changing the world, getting hundreds of thousands of people born again, just doing it like it's done in the Bible. It was a great encouragement to me. Now, I want to ask in your prayer life every day that you pray for the churches in Ghana. They 
they just started quarantine this this weekend. This was their first Sunday without church. These this is their first few days of of lockdown and. You know, imagine us going through this back in the 80s, before grocery stores, before we had money in the bank. I mean, imagine the 80s when this would hit in our poverty. Most people don't work for big companies. There are very few big companies in Ghana. Most people, you know, do like we did back in the 80s. They have little mom and pop stores. Everybody has a Saudi Saudi store. It's just little things. So imagine lockdown back in the 80s, and that will give you a heart to pray for the people of Ghana. Father, I lift you, all of our friends, all of the churches there in Ghana. Father, especially across Accra, that great city. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Faithful is he who has promised. Lord, that disease shall stay far from the home of every Ghanaian. Christian, in Jesus' name. The angels that have been given charge concerning them to guard them in their way, that you shall protect them from the deadly pestilence. Father, let not one Ghanan believer be touched by this thing, in Jesus' name. Let your hand rest upon them. Give them good sense and wisdom. But Father, we pray also for their provision. These are difficult days for them, Father. Many of them don't know how they're going to make it how they're going to feed their families. Lord, you will never fail them. You will never forsake them. Let your hand rest upon them. Bring them provision from the most unlikely sources. Father, let your blessing rest upon them. And I thank you, Lord, that all their needs will be met according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Provide food on the tables for their people, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good and his mercy endures forever. God is good. The Ghanaian believers, God will put food on your tables in Jesus' name. For all of our members, you're working daily wages and your bosses have told you no work, no pay. God will put food on your table. God will never fail you. God will never forsake you. God will make a way where there is no way. God will bring his blessing to you in Jesus' name. All right, let's start reading today. I'll get myself all going here in prayer and lose track of time. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, now notice, he began to say. Now that's an important, important phrase here. Crowds increasing, began to say. When crowds were increasing, Jesus never showed respect for the bigger crowds, never changed how he taught to the bigger crowds. Jesus was never interested in playing to the crowds or doing PR. He began to say, now this is the beginning of some teaching. This generation is an evil generation. Now, now, now wait a minute, Jesus, you got a big crowd here. You, you, you got to watch out for the offerings. Now, come on, Jesus, you got a big crowd here. You, you don't want these people to leave. No. He said, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. Now, I put verse 16 right next to that, because remember back up in verse 16, Jesus had just been teaching them about uh, giving good gifts and, and uh, the, the, the imprudence or, or this uh, persistence in prayer. So they kept seeking from him a sign in verse 16. Now, in verse 29, he said, it seeks a sign, 
but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became, now I, I circle that word became, as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now notice, Jesus was not a sign. He is Messiah. But he will become a sign. His death and his resurrection will become a sign. Just like Jonah went into the whale or went into the great fish. I always say whale because we sang that song when we were kids. But as he went into the great fish and then came out, in the same way Jesus would go into the ground, and rise again. So he became a sign. So will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen, now notice again, this generation. Now, we're seeing a repetition here. So when I see the word this generation a second time, I go, okay, I'm going to go back and circle it the first time and circle it the second time. We're beginning to see uh, something here that's important, the word generation. So the queen of the south will rise up at judgment with the son of, with the men of this generation. All right, now there's a third time, this generation, and condemn them. For she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation. So let's circle generation again and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, a few things I want you to see about this passage. First of all, notice one, two, three, four times this generation is used. Now, there's a great sermon starter for you. You want to start putting together the sermon, the generation of Jesus. And you begin to see, and you can pull throughout all the Gospels, every time Jesus talks about what his generation was like. Now, now I say this because sometimes we look around and we go, oh, my generation is so bad. But when you look at Jesus' generation, it wasn't any different than our generation. But now we also needed to find generation. Generation was everybody who was alive at that time. You know, I, I hear some young pastors today, I want to reach my generation. Well, what he's talking about is his, his block of students that were in university with him. That's not his generation. That's his classmates. Now, if we're going to talk about reaching a generation, reaching a generation goes from the babies to the lolos, and the Lolas. When people talk about building a church for this generation, we have to understand we're building a church from babies to Lolas and Lolas. This generation is everybody who's alive right now. So if, if, if you're running around saying, I want to build a church for this generation, make sure you're not talking about your classmates. This generation refers from birth to death, everybody who's alive right now. But I also want you to notice, Jesus begins something that Paul picks up later. In Hebrews, Paul takes chapters showing how Jesus is greater. Now, that doctrine did not begin with the Apostle Paul. That doctrine began with Jesus. He said, listen, something greater than Solomon is here. Hey, listen, so something greater than the Queen of Sheba is here. Hey, listen, so something is greater than, than, than Jonah and the men of Nineveh here. Something, something's greater here. <laughs> so the doctrine begins. Now, I bring this up because it's very important that you always trace a doctrine to its roots. Because it should never stray from the trajectory sent by its roots. One of the little notes I put in my Bible, the trajectory of Jesus greater than. 
Now, this is so important, brothers and sisters, because it's like people said, well, why did Moses, you know, tell us that we could get a divorce? Jesus said, it was not that way from the beginning. Moses only did so because of the hardness of your heart. Go back to the beginning. God never intended divorce. He said, go back to the beginning. That was never God's intention. Now, it's very, very important in Scripture that we go all the way back to the first truths of a doctrine to understand its trajectory. Now, that's just a nice little theological thought for you. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket. Now, you are the light of the world now. Jesus has set you ablaze. Now, he begins to teach you about living like the light of this world. He said, hey, God, God didn't light you and then hide you. There's none of this hidden Christianity stuff. Oh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't tell people about my faith in Jesus. That's not my ministry. Excuse me? You don't light a lamp and then stick it someplace and hide it. The purpose of a lamp is to release light in the environment. So please, none of this hidden Christianity stuff. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Now, I'm going to read through the rest of this, then we're going to come back and talk about it. We're talking about living like the light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you become darkness. Then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, no dark spots, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, Jesus is talking about the reality of, of Christianity here for a minute. If you want to live like the light, keep your eyes on the things of the light. Keep your eyes filled with light. Now, what, what is the light? Well, it's the justice of God. It's the presence of God. It's the word of God. It's the life of God. There's things in the Bible that are called light. Keep your attention focused on these things. Now, when you, you start focusing your eyes on pornography, when you start focusing your eyes on bitterness and hatred and intrigue and gossip and ugh, when you start focusing your eyes on that, if you fill the, your insides with that, all of a sudden your insides are no longer light, but you're full of darkness. Now, then Jesus says, now let's be careful because, okay, it's not just a question of all light or all darkness. He said, there's also a partial, there's dark spots. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you become darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, okay? In Ghana, they, they have these, uh, the, the holy, holy conference. And by holy, it's W-H-O, holy, holy thine. This is holy light. Maybe I'll suggest to Pastor Dag a holy light conference. No part dark. Now, there are Christians that, forgive me, most of the time they're focused on the light. But then some of the time they've got their little secret sin going thing where there's a little bit dark. Now, you have to understand, when people get around you and there's dark spots in you, it affects your ability to see change in their life. It affects your ability to minister to them. So let's live a life with no dark spots. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. <laughs> Please, every time I read that, I'm just thinking, does this Pharisee have any idea what he's in for? It is amazing to me how 
people will seek to draw prestige from a man of God not realizing what they've walked into. So here's this guy, probably thinking this is the politically correct thing to do, probably thinking this is a prestigious thing to do. Jesus is very famous. So he invites Jesus to dinner. And, and I, I write in the column of my Bible there, a very tense dinner. This was not a, um, a comfortable dinner full of laughter and full of joy. <laughs> this, was a, this was a very tense dinner. While Jesus was speaking, the Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash first before dinner. Now, folks, this isn't just getting your hands clean. Uh, the Jews had this cup, and if, if this is my cup, this cup would have a second handle. And it was a ceremonial washing. So first you'd pour water over this hand, then you'd grab the other handle and pour the water over this hand. And they had these cups like this. In fact, I have several artifacts from Jesus' time, uh, cups that were made of stone with the handles on each side. These were for the Levitical priesthood to use because they couldn't touch things with clay in it. They had to only use things with stone. So they had this whole ritual thing about two-handed cups. If you go with us to Israel, you see these two-handed cups. These are not drinking cups. These are hand-washing cups. You pour the water over each hand with a different handle. And Jesus didn't do that. And the Lord said, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Now, now Jesus, is that any way to um, speak to your dinner host? <laughs> I mean, this guy invites you to dinner, Jesus. You're clean inside, but you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So Jesus said, listen, isn't the same God who made the skin? Isn't he the same God who made your heart? your inside, your spirit man also. But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything in you is clean. Now, I have to tell you, I got a question mark in my Bible next to that one. I, I don't understand it. One day I'll understand it, but right now I just put a question mark in my Bible. But give as alms those things that are within. These things that are within that God also made, give as alms. And behold, everything is clean for you. Hmm. Got a question mark next to that one. I, I don't understand. But woe to you, Pharisees. Now, Jesus didn't give them an inch. He didn't let up at all. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. Now, these are the smallest of the plants, little tiny things. And you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, okay? You should have tithed without neglecting the others. Now, let me just park right there. Everybody likes to say Jesus never taught tithing, but yes, he did. He said, you should have done these things. You, you should have tithed the, the mint and the rue and the herb, but you should not have neglected justice and the love of God. Woe to you Pharisees. Okay, now we're seeing repetition again, so we highlight the repetition. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without even knowing it. Now, an unmarked grave in a Jewish mind is not a spooky thing. Like, you know, it's, it's, it, I grew up in Alabama for a season of my life, and, you know, people would talk about, who I feel like I just walked over a grave. 
Uh, they're talking about they felt goosebumps, the hair on the back of their neck stood up. It's, this is not a spooky thing. To walk on the dead was to make yourself unclean. To touch a dead body was to make you unclean. And he said, now listen, people get around you, and you make them unclean, and they don't even know it. Now, there are some Christians, I mean, please forgive me, there are some Christians, you get around them, they will mess up your spiritual life, and you're not expecting it. You would be careful around an unsaved person, but you're not careful around that believer. Because, my goodness, they're a believer. But like these Pharisees, these religious people, they were like unmarked graves. Everything looks really good on the outside, but on the inside. Ah, and you have to remember our spiritual law. Everything reproduces after its own kind. One of the lawyers answered him. All right, now somebody's going to talk back to Jesus at this tense dinner party. These guys start challenging him. Jesus just jumps right in with both feet. Now somebody begins to answer back. Not wise. One of the lawyers answered him. Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. <laughs> Jesus said, now let me be very clear here. Woe to you lawyers also. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when I read the Gospels, I just go, Jesus, you're not like anybody I've ever met. Jesus didn't back up an inch. There was not a political bone in Jesus' body. It's just honesty and truth. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. In other words, you make following God so difficult with 5,000 interpretations of every verse, but you don't even try to follow your own teaching. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Now that's interesting. I don't find any apostles in the Old Testament. Hmm. So Jesus is talking about past, and he's talking about future. Prophets were from before. Apostles are for today. I will send them prophets. Now by that I'm not talking about there's no prophets today. Please don't get me wrong, but Prophets were what the men of God were called in the Old Testament. Now, there's a new office of ministry that Jesus has created called Apostle. And he called them to be his apostles, remember? So we have past and present. I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Now there's this generation again. For the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So, hey, there's going to be a lot of judgment that comes on this generation, Jesus said. Now, when you think about it, after his death and resurrection, 30, 33 AD, within 30 years, we see the total destruction of Jerusalem. Total devastation. We see the temple torn down so that not one stone was left upon another. You can still go there today and, and see where they've excavated, where the ancient stones were pushed off the top of Temple Mount and fell to the ground below. Everything was destroyed. Everything was flattened. The, the Sanhedrin and the religious leadership moved to Tiberias. 
after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That generation. Woe to you lawyers. Now let's be very clear. You're just like the Pharisees. Woe to you lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Now, that's one of those question marks I put on my Bible again. I've studied this so much. I've seen a lot of different things written. What does it mean they took away the key of knowledge? There's a knowledge. Does knowledge have a key, or is knowledge the key? I'm still studying that one. That's one of the question marks in my Bible. So, you know, in my Bible, is knowledge the key, or is the key knowledge? I don't know. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You have not entered yourself, so they did not enter into whatever, either they did not enter into knowledge, or they did not enter into what the key of knowledge opens, which is probably more correct. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So in Jesus' day, there were people who were entering into what the key of knowledge opened. And these guys hindered them. Now, there are going to be people that, please forgive me, will always hinder you in your quest for God. In your, in your heart to serve God and in your heart to follow God, there's always going to be hindrances. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things. Now, notice, Jesus starts a confrontation. They answer back. He continues the confrontation. And from this day forward, every place he goes, these people are after him. They press him hard. They weren't nice to Jesus. They weren't nice to Jesus. Have, have you ever listened to reporters really going after a politician during an interview? Well, take that and multiply it by about 100. This is what this is talking about. They pressed him hard and provoked him to speak about many things. Now, why were they always trying to get him to talk about different things? Well, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You have to understand that there are people that try to get you to talk just to catch you in your words. Just to catch you in your words. When people interrogate, when, when police officials interrogate people, they keep wanting you to say the same thing over and over again, trying to get you to change the story, trying to get you to say something different, trying to get their line in wait, trying to catch him in something he might say. Only with them, they were looking for something that they could doctrinally accuse him of. Now, brothers and sisters, a lot of these religious people haven't changed much today. I've learned in my short life, I don't get into debates. I refuse to debate. The truth of God is not to be debated, it's to be taught. And if people want to listen, they listen. And if people don't want to listen, they do not listen. But the truth of God is not to be debated by people who, who want to catch you in every word and, and parse your words. That's not what Christianity is about. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. It's what I have found in you, Lord, to be this 
All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Now, we're almost finished with the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and then we'll get into Joshua. Now, the last sections that we've been dealing with in Deuteronomy, some of this stuff, you go, oh, Pastor, I've never really read that because, oh, it's just kind of negative. And just, no, this, everything in the Bible has life in it. God's Word is alive. When Paul told Timothy about paying attention to the public reading of Scripture, this is what they were reading. Now, but there are some beautiful truths in there. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the law. Please, Jesus fulfilled the law. But yes, also, there's some beautiful principles in here that we can live in our lives today because God has not changed. Let's pick up with chapter 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Now, again, how many times have I told you as we read through Deuteronomy, Moses kept telling them there's a place that God will choose, and that's where you worship, and that's where you take the tithe, and that's where you bring your offerings. It, it always amazes me every time I read it. They never went to look for that place. King David not only conquered the entire land, but King David was the first man that conquered Jerusalem. The Jebusites lived there all this time. They'd set up the tabernacle at Shiloh for over 350 years. David was the first man that conquered Jerusalem, which was the city that God would choose. David was the man who bought Mount Moriah, the place that God, forgive me, had already chosen since the time of Abraham. It's amazing that nobody went to look for it. If, if God kept saying to the place that the Lord your God will choose, that would become something that would become an intense search for me. But they didn't seem to pick it up. To go to the place that the Lord your God will choose and to make his name dwell there. And you will go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, 
I declare to you today, the Lord your God, that I have come into this land, that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Arminian. Here's this response. The priest does this, and then we respond. The wandering Arminian was my father, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And I set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all that the Lord your God has given you and to your house. You and the Levite and the sojourner is among them. When you have finished, now let me just stop there. This is the offering of the first fruits. Now, everybody wants to talk about first fruits today. And please forgive me, in most churches, first fruits is just another fundraising gimmick. You will never see me do a first fruits offering in COP, though I will tell you to bring a first fruits offering to the Lord. But this is not something that we do every year. This, this is something that happens at the beginning of something. This is when you get that promotion. This is when you get that new job and you bring God the first fruits. This is when you buy that new farm in the province. This is the first of the harvest of God's blessing. And so because it's the first, you don't do it every week. Okay? You don't do it twice a year. This is something that you bring as the first fruits. So when people say, Pastor Summer, why don't we do a first fruits offering? Because it's just another fundraising gimmick that some people use. What should be done is when you get your job, when you get your promotion, when you buy that land, when you you open your factory, the first sales, when you open your new business, the first sales, you bring the Lord an offering from the first of what he just gave you. And this is what it's all about. Look, God saw my need. God gave this to me. And now I bring him the first. When you have finished paying all the tithe you produce in the third year. Now, there are people that really get mixed up on tithing. And it's because they read the Bible a little bit, but don't read it a lot. When you just do a cursory reading, you could get confused about tithing in the Bible because there's actually three different tithes that Moses talks about. And this tithe of the third year is a second type of tithing. Now, this was strictly confined to the law. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, in the year of tithing. Now, they, they were supposed to tithe every year, but this is the third year. This is a special tithing year. This is like where there's a second tithe. First tithe you bring to the storehouse. This tithe is handled differently. Giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. This is what we would call benevolence giving. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, 
I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your command that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Now notice, there's a difference between transgressed and forgotten. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was in mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, and bless your people Israel and the ground you have given us, as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, here's the prayer of a tither. Look down from your holy habitation. Bless the people and bless the land. Now, that's a twofold prayer. Because if the people are blessed and the land is not blessed, you're still not going to have a good harvest in an agricultural society. So we pray for the land to be blessed and we pray for the people to be blessed. Now, add this to all that teaching about murder, blood in the land, how uh, murder pollutes the land. It brings is a far worse pollution than plastic. All right. Now, plastic is still wrong, but it's a far worse pollution than plastic. So put that and understand in order for you to be blessed. You need to be blessed, and the land needs to be blessed. Here's a, a principle of prayer. When you pray and you, you return the tithe to the Lord today, you say, Lord, I ask your blessings upon my life. I ask your blessings upon my family. But Lord, I ask your blessings upon the business also. I ask your blessings upon the business environment. See, as you seek the prosperity of a city, you too are blessed. So... We do not live in an agricultural society where the land is to be blessed, but we need God to bless the economic environment. So like right now, every day I'm praying, Lord, cause the economy to recover after this coronavirus. Lord, we don't want a recession. We don't want a depression. It's going to cause so much suffering. Now, God has blessed the people, but we also need the economy to be blessed. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. Now that's a beautiful truth. You are a people for his treasured possession. Now notice, there is a declaration. He said, you have declared, verse 17, And then he says, the Lord has declared, verse 18. So there are things that we declare, and there are things that God declares. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all the nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord, as he has promised. Now notice that. God will set you in praise, God will set you in fame, and God will set you in honor. That's what God does for his people. Chapter 27, verse 1. Now the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment I command you today, and on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. Now, Most of the time, God said, just set up large stones, but now he says, plaster them with plaster. 
and you shall write on them all the words of this law. Wow. Do you remember how when Jacob came back into the promised land, he set up some stones as a memorial, as a witness between him and his uncle Laban? It seems that God wanted a memorial set up. And I have a big question mark in my Bible next to this. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your father, has promised you. Now, how, many, how much did they write down? Much more than the Ten Commandments, because the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. Second greatest is love your neighbors yourself. How many of all of these commandments did they write down? How big was this? Was it standing upright like this, like a billboard? Was it laid flat on the ground? Where they just put the stones together and then plastered over them? And then it's kind of like the law of the kings, all right? So I'm wondering if they actually wrote the entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch, what the Jews call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Did they write the entire thing? Did they, they make this giant uh, concrete book that just stretched out for miles long, and they wrote with their fingers in the plaster the, the, all of the Pentateuch, kind of like the law of the king, where the king had to make his own copy and read it daily? I don't know. It's, it's a question mark I have. But it's a cool thought. I mean, that they would have to write down the whole thing as they crossed over the Jordan River. So right down there near jo Jericho, as they crossed over, they would have made this huge thing. And you can see how they could plaster with the materials down there. You shall wield, oh, sorry, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Now, now there's no plaster, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall offer sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now, all the words of this law very plainly. Ah, no, I don't understand what all that means. But it's just amazing to me that God wanted the people to write it down themselves. Verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Now, again, there's a question mark in my Bible next to that. This day you have become. What were they before? This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day the Lord charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. So this was unison speaking by the entire tribe of Levi. Unison speaking. Cursed is the man who makes a carved or 
cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer, Amen. Now again, picture in your mind the entire tribe of Levi, thousands and thousands of men, speaking in one voice and then the people answering them. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people say amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of an animal. This is bestiality, sex with animals. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. So in other words, sisters or half-sisters, stepsisters. And all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people say amen. Cursed be anyone, I missed this verse, verse 23, who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say amen. Verse 25, cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. Now, that's a lot of curses. <laughs> Jesus bore the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon us in Christ Jesus. When you read these passages of the Old Testament, it is not a truthful statement to say these things do not apply to us, because they do. But they've been fulfilled in Jesus. To say that they don't apply to us means that they did not, Jesus did not need to fulfill them. His sufferings and his death on the cross, bearing the curse of the law for us, that the blessings of Abraham might come to us, you must learn to read the whole Bible. There are parts of it that we won't understand. I've been studying this book now for, oh my goodness, I'm 63 and I started studying it when I was 18. You still see I put question marks. You still see I'm learning, I'm digging. Before I got saved, I, I was weird, okay? I, I was reading at college level when I was, what, fourth or fifth grade. I was already reading at university level. I was taking university courses when I was, you know, in elementary school. I could master books. Speed reading, mastering books, easy for me. When I started reading the Bible, it was the first book I ever read. I couldn't master God's word is living. You and I will spend a lifetime discovering the beautiful truths because these are not just truths that you understand intellectually. These are things that are living in their life and they, they come into our lives and they change us. And as we learn, it gives us revelation to understand other things because all knowledge is cumulative. My brothers and sisters, I pray that one of the effects of this lockdown, whatever you want to call it, one of the effects is that you will learn a love for the Word of God. You will learn to love reading the Bible every day. You will learn to love 
talking to your heavenly Father every day. Now, Father, as we begin this day, I thank you that the angels have been given charge concerning your people to guard them in their way, that you shall protect them from the deadly pestilence that stalks in the darkness, the sickness that this pestilence shall not come near their home. I pray for all the frontliners, Lord, all the people that have to go buy groceries. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are their shield and their rear guard, that the love of God surrounds them like a cloud of glory, protecting them in all their way. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And Lord, I pray especially for our families that are hurting financially right now. They don't know what to do tomorrow, but God, you're already there. And you said that we shouldn't worry about what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. We shouldn't chase after the things that the pagans do. But if we will seek first your kingdom and its righteousness, all these things, the food, the drink, the clothes, they'll just be added to us. Father, let your people see that promise fulfilled within their lives. Let them see your provision flow to their lives. <laughs> in the strangest ways, Lord, in ways that you receive the glory. Let your provision flow to your people. Put food on the tables of your people, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.